Welcome to the Splinters Podcast from the team on the bench. Community Radio's leading no-holds-barred Friday night sports show. Available online and replayed on Triple H 100.1 FM. Now, here's your host, the Raging Bull, Anthony Caruso. Good evening and welcome to Splinters, the bench podcast on Triple H 100.1 FM, streaming live on the web at www.triplehfm.com.au and available for download on podcast.com, iTunes, Google Play, Spotify and all good podcast sites. Of course, we do this all for Magpies Waitara, the action attraction of the North Shore and the all about caring Sydney Bears. This is Anthony the Bull Caruso and tonight we're going to talk about one of the real hot topics within sports, mental health. Over the last 10 years we've seen major steps taken to address the issues around mental health with sport taking a leading focus within this realm. What was once a taboo subject is now becoming a subject where people are starting to talk more freely about the issues around mental health and the impact that it can have on you as a player and as a person. We all hear about physical injuries. It's part of the game that anyone involved in sports will end up with a physical injury at some point in their life. And, you know, to be quite honest, you just simply accept it, myself included. I've had to deal with a, at least one partial knee reconstruction. Now we are learning about the mental side of the game and the impact that it can have on you as a person. And it's an element of sport that is can often be quite a bit more challenging because unlike physical injuries, these are, you could say, injuries that you don't actually see. For this, we brought in a bench favourite who has made plenty of guest appearances in the past and now returns to a topic that is very close to his heart. He's one half of arguably the Northern Corridor's most respected brother-sister combination in sports administration and sports media. He's currently working as a coach with Manly United. He's an ambassador and activist for Headspace for North Sydney and the Northern Beaches. He's a keen cricket and squash fan as well. Ladies and gentlemen, this is his debut on Splinters, but we welcome him back with open arms. Jake Cohen. Jake Good evening and welcome to Splinters. Thank you for having me, Anthony. It's great to be here and obviously, as you say, talking about a subject that's close to my heart and one that I'm very passionate about, so it's fantastic to be here. Now, tonight we'll be diving, uh, dividing the show up into two segments. Part one, we'll investigate um, studies around mental health within sports and discuss, uh, in particular, four case studies uh, regarding well-known sports stars who have openly discussed their own battles with mental health. In one case, probably more of a tragic outcome that uh, they came from it, and how it can impact on those people as a sports performer and as a person, and really those people right around them as well. Because when you think about it, in the world of professional sports, those people around them are probably the most immediate support that they have throughout their sporting career. Yeah, that's exactly right. Obviously, it doesn't just affect the player, the person, but also the family, the support staff around them. Uh, yeah, it's a, well, it affects a very wide network uh, when someone's suffering from mental health, especially with, uh, as you d- uh, said, about particularly uh, suicides that have occurred in sports in the recent times and has a really wide effect. Now, part two will be dedicated to the upcoming sports charity auction that's being held in just under two weeks at ICMS in Manly. All the proceeds going to Headspace, a great organisation, and a couple of surprise announcements that we potentially might have um, for the event. Yeah, it's really exciting. I'm really looking forward to it. Um, As Anthony has said, we'll have a few surprise announcements through the show. Um, It's really exciting and Obviously, Headspace is a great organisation that's 
getting wider wider uh, acknowledgement through the public and becoming more well-known. Well, this is an addition not to be missed, so take your seats. Let's get started right here on Splinters, the Bench Podcast on Triple H 100.1 FM, streaming on the web at www.triplehfm.com.au and available on podcast.com, iTunes, Google Play, Spotify and all good podcast sites. Now, while people have known about mental health issues for years, it has been long treated as a taboo subject with people being dismissed as, well, uh, descriptions like shell-shocked, crazy, in a mood, very, I guess, derogatory terms to describe the situation that you're actually currently in. Now, this attitude has changed dramatically since the establishment of organizations like Beyond Blue, the Black Dog Institute, Lifeline, and Headspace. I can speak from personal from personal experience with regards to work. Um, the company that I work for does a lot of pro bono work with the Black Dog Institute, uh, especially around their research capabilities with understanding mental health, and sport has been one area that they've been working on in particular. The major turning point of the spotlight on mental health in sports came in 2015. And Jake, you might be able to speak to this a little bit. Um, A study was conducted by Sports Medicine Australia and published by Elsevier, uh, investigated 224 elite athletes, 118 females and 106 males, and asked the athletes to undergo a self-report internet-based survey and found an astonishing 46.4% of athletes experienced symptoms of at least one of the mental health problems um, assessed. Now, this is, while it's not majorly significant compared to the rest of the, the community, the talk is, is that it they do often get more than just one, whereas a lot of people in the general community might just get, say, one symptom throughout their entire time. And I want to ask you first off about this. So depression, 27.2% affected, uh, eating disorders, 22.8%, general psychological distress, 16.5%, social anxiety, 14.7%, generalized anxiety disorder, 7.1%, and panic disorder, 4.5%. Now, throughout your time, Jay, um, depression, no no real surprise that that, that is top of the chain. Eating disorders is probably one that doesn't probably doesn't come up as much within the general public, but in the sporting arena, that is that's actually quite scary when you think about it. Yeah, it's massive. Obviously, to have over twenty two point five percent that suffer from eating disorders, I think that's down to a range of factors. They want the best performance, so they feel as though if they're not eating, they'll be a lower weight, which will put in a better performance for them, but it actually has the reverse effect in many cases as with an eating disorder, you're suffering from loss of energy, which means a a far less output and obviously then leads into other um, symptoms, whether it's depression, anxiety, or whatever other uh, psychological distress you may be suffering well, we, you talk about, um, and it's a crucial aspect about you know making sure you eat well is one of the first bases for uh, for bat- combating mental health. Um, as we know, it's like they, a lot of people try to lose weight by trying to cut carbs out, for example. But that actually has the adverse effect because your brain needs carbohydrates to be able to function effectively, and a strong brain gives you a better chance, at least, of combating mental health. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. Um, Obviously, if you have a, or a lower brain power for that, um, it's really going to affect you both in the short and longer term because 
when you when you are suffering from um, issues, then uh, it, they do have ranging effects and definitely affect you in a sporting capacity. The social anxiety is an is an interesting one, along with generalized anxiety disorder, and combined that takes up twenty two point eight percent, which puts it level with with eating disorders, and it really does talk about how someone seems to be able to, can say for so long, only for so long, escape their mental health challenges by immersing themselves in their sport. And while they may end up becoming absolutely brilliant at it, outside of that sporting environment, they seem to just simply fall and fall to pieces. Yeah, that's exactly right. Obviously, uh, a lot of people feel secure in the sporting environment, but when they step, take that step back from the sporting environment, whether it's general life, uh, work environment, they do suffer more readily from anxiety um, just because they don't feel as comfortable in that environment. Um, so, yeah, it's obviously a major issue and one that I'm sure we'll be discussing later on. Injured athletes generally have been found to have higher levels of both symptoms of depression and generalised anxiety disorder. Now, now I can speak from personal experience when it comes to um, uh, certainly the depression uh, side of that. I'm not calling myself an elite athlete by any means. In fact, I probably had a dad bod for about um, 10 years or so. I'll and the rest. Uh, yeah, thanks, mate. Um, but certainly when I had my uh, – when I tore my ACL at the age of 23, I think for about six, seven months, I, I went into a pretty bad funk um, with regards to myself because I was basically out of the sport. I, I could not do the things that I loved doing. I managed to find my release for a bit, which is the uh, which was taking music back up again. But <clears throat> certainly for the first couple of months, it was a challenge. It was a challenge to get over the fact that I no longer had the mobility. I no longer had the um, self-sufficiency within my own life. And it affected me in terms of not only my personal life, but also my work life. Yeah, that's exactly right. Obviously, when the routine that you've gone through for such a long period of time changes because of whether it's an injury or whatever the issue might be, that is when uh, depression uh, tends to rear its head um, and when people go through the, the various issues. Now... These two areas were two that appeared in higher levels than the rest of the community. And that's what gave alarm to the issues and challenges being experienced within mental health within the sporting um, community. Now, athletes have become much more open with coming forward about their challenges. And as part of those challenges, we're going to go through four case studies uh, where people have spoken openly about about the uh, the challenges. Now, three of them are going to involve people who have spoken about it. One, unfortunately, is a case a bit more macabre in its nature because we are dealing with what can happen if you leave mental health untreated. Um, the first case study I'm, we're going to bring up is well known within the the realms of AFL and it's um, and it's Buddy Franklin. Now, the first thing a lot of people don't actually know about him is that he he suffers um, mild epilepsy. Yeah, that's right. Uh, obviously, it's not something that maybe the wider general public know, but yeah, it's definitely an issue that he does suffer from um, and that 
has affected him throughout his career, for sure. Now, he was infamously, he was forced to sit out the entire 2015 final series uh, for the Sydney Swans um, due to his growing mental health issues. And this was off the, this is his, was his second year of his nine-year, $10 million contract with the Sydney Swans. It was a big move for him to actually do this. But John Longmire, to his credit, said, no, go, do what you need to do, come back next year. Yeah, that's exactly right. Obviously, it shows how seriously the Sydney Swans take the players and their staff's mental health. And if anyone is suffering, they've shown that they'll support them through the, t- the, the tougher times that they're going through, but also that they put that person's personal life ahead of actually on-field performances and results for the team. It's, and it's and it speaks volumes as well of, the, of the, I guess of the culture, this very strong culture that has been at the Swans for, I think about twenty, nearly thirty years. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Obviously, unfortunately, this year the team's not doing quite as well, but the culture's still there. The culture's still there, and I'm sure that within the next one to two years they'll be back competing in final series and really kicking on. Now, Buddy came out and spoke about. His, his challenge with mental health the next year. And he put his case down to his inability to switch off during what amounted to 12 years of playing senior level AFL, six years already at the professional level. But you've got to remember, <clears throat> this, is a, this is a guy who had been, had been targeted by Hawthorne originally at the age of 16. Um, during his time at Hawthorne, he won two premierships. And he went through a phase where he would win the flag in the first weekend of October, he'd take one month off, and then he'd be back at November for pre-season training straight away. It's almost as if he doesn't switch off. Well, that's exactly right. Uh, Obviously, that doesn't allow too much time to take that step away from the sport. Obviously, it's providing his livelihood, but often people in the sporting environment do need that uh, to take that step away, and that's why... To what tends to happen in Australian sport is you get people uh, going out and having alcohol benders because they want that release from the sport. Uh, obviously, that has wider implications, but I don't know, to be honest, what they can do to fix that because it is that professional sport. The players are on over a million dollars for some, uh, and they expect good results, but as we as we discussed just a few minutes ago, it was so fantastic to see the Sydney Swans support Buddy through his tough times, and have just shown that support structure that is in place at the club. Now, two battles for him, as, as we've known before, his own personal battle with epilepsy, um, which, funnily enough, is actually more prevalent than what most people um, think, and then. Switching on versus switching off, which developed into a sort of a performance anxiety. The battle of epile- the battle with epilepsy. It is a mental disorder as opposed to mental health. But the fact that you are so conscious about this issue means that it ends up becoming a trigger almost for mental health situations. Yeah, it definitely can. Um, obviously, as you say, it is more prevalent than many would think. Um, and then in terms of switching on versus switching off and developing that into a performance anxiety, obviously coming from Hawthorne, being considered, if not the best player in the AFL, definitely in the top five, yeah. coming on a big money move, you know, the expectations are, are sky high, moving to Sydney, 
which has been a, a relatively successful club in the AFL, as you say, over the last 15 to 20 years. So obviously the uh, expectations were really high and factoring everything that has occurred with Buddy, yeah, he had that little – it went through that time where the uh, mental health issues reared its head and were just a little bit too much for him at the time. To, his, to the credit, as we mentioned, John Longmore and the Swans, but – uh, I think a person who really did step up, step up. We knew that she was a bit of a darling within the Sydney scene. She she cemented her spot as one of the really good girls of the of the area. Jacinta Campbell, his wife, um, absolutely played a critical role as well in getting Buddy out of his funk. Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, she's uh, definitely spoken about the issues that she's gone through in the past, um, particularly what she went through at high school. Um, for those that watch the uh, probably failed show Celebrity Apprentice, yes, her charity was a mental health charity. Um, so she was definitely strong about the issue of mental health, not just in sport but in general life for people. So obviously to have that support structure at home with him was a great assistance to him. Let's go to our second case study, and uh, it's one that a lot of people have – in terms of as, as a sports favourite within Australia, um, <clears throat> it took a lot for her to actually come out because of this very, I guess, machismo style culture that exists within Australian swimming. Um, Liesl Jones. Yeah, obviously a very well-known name in Australian swimming. Um, one of the media darlings, if you will, who was obviously very high profile, one of our best swimmers um, when she was at the peak of her powers. Uh, so that, yeah, definitely had an effect on her. Certainly, and people really did ramp her up as being the successor to Madam Butterfly herself, um, Susie O'Neill. Yeah, exactly. She was, well, considered the best female Australian swimmer at the time. And again, as we spoke about Buddy, the expectations were sky high, which obviously the training allowed her to perform at incredibly high levels. But at some point, it does get to a point where those expectations are, particular, or are possibly too high, uh, which is un definitely understandable. You know, to be getting up at 4 a.m., six, seven days a week, swimming for five hours, you know, it does get to that point where. You know, the performance anxiety that you are expected to perform by the general public who, to be honest, obviously the general public only will watch swimming at the Olympics. They don't really have much idea what's going on in her personal life and the results she's getting in other competitions. So it's that general sports fan that I'm sure was uh, shouting the loudest. Well, going through and look at the pressure she had to go through. She was the youngest member of the Sydney 2000 swim team. She was 15 when she was part of the relay team that won silver. She won gold at Beijing 2008. Um, she started to experience her mental health issues to its fullest extent, I think, in 2011 when uh, at the high-performance training and in Spain. And she spoke about the fact that she actually made an attempt on her life in Spain. Yeah, that's, that's right. Uh, that was quite well publicised at the time. Um, I think she was trying to well, – she was, she was on the verge of 
what um, overdosing on uh, yeah, tablets. It was, it was an overdose. Yeah, that's right. Um, I think that that's when obviously people have to realise the seriousness of what she was going through. Um, what, which is good in the media that they've become more aware of the different issues, so can either or can take a step back and just give the person, the sports person, um, greater ability to, to take that step back from the public spotlight. But it shouldn't really get to the stage where she's, you know, very close to taking her life to realise that. Now, she spoke about the feeling of isolation within the team, the pressures of performance, especially considering she's been competing for Olympic gold since 2000. But I think the greatest step she actually took um, is one is once she got out of that, um, she got herself mentally healthy again, she then spoke about the uh, the issues around culture within that Olympic swim team and the fact that, you know, three other people had mental health issues at the time and it took Liesl Jones to help them get, um, get their own issues out in the forefront. Of course, we are talking about uh, Daniel Kowalski, uh, Libby Trickett and Grant Hackett. Yeah, that's right. Obviously, um, at that stage, uh, mental health in sport, was, as you said earlier, a little bit of a taboo subject. People didn't want to come out and put that in the, in the media, whether that's for their rivals, for the general public, or whoever may be taking that information on board. But as you say, I think her stepping out into the spotlight and putting a, light, a spotlight on the issues that do occur in swimming um, that was a really positive step. And the other, and of course, it came to a, a flashpoint at London 2012 when she was probably the most vocal critic of the culture of the um, Australian swim team, especially in the wake of the behaviours of, um, of people like James Magnuson and Eamon Sullivan. Um, certainly the the way that they sort of behaved around certain people was, um, was highly criticised that, their taking of um, tablets throughout their time and their hard partying during the, the period when they were supposed to be actually focused. And that brought about a major review, which uh, Lisa Jones ended up becoming a, a, a crucial component of that review. Yeah, that's right. Uh, obviously, the Australian swim team had been so successful for such a long period uh, at London the results weren't as good as they had been in previous Olympics. So I think it was her taking that uh, step forward to say that this culture is not acceptable anymore and also the lack of medals that we did get at London. But as you say, obviously, uh, it was a culture that wasn't going to be able to be acceptable going forward. So for, uh, for uh, Lisa to take that step forward and say that, yes, I've been part of the Olympic team for the last four Olympics and we've reached a stage where it's not acceptable anymore and put her out herself out in front of other swimmers that may not have been uh, as accepting. It was a really positive step for her. Now, the major battle, battle that she would have experienced throughout is uh, is two particular points. Pressures of performance, especially from such a young age. You brought... You mentioned the fact that, you know, she spoke, that Liesl spoke about her ambition to win gold in the Coles of Australia from the age of 14 and how that pressure put on herself and by others nearly cost her her life. 
Yeah, that's, that's right. Uh, as we've discussed, you know, from such a young age, at 14, someone isn't fully uh, formed mentally, physically. So for her to be such a precocious talent at such a young age just adds that extra element of pressure. Um, and I don't think she was, I didn't, she didn't come forward at that young age and say that she was suffering from the pressure. But I think obviously as it developed eight to 10 years later, it really reared its head. Uh, and perhaps it's a, a learning curve for many, not just in the sporting world, but in the general sporting world and general public that for anyone who's a talent at a young age that you have to take uh, precautions in that they may be talented, but they've got a lot of life experience which hasn't yet hit them. And the other part, of course, um, which we mentioned is the culture of the swim team, you know, impacts of bullying within the squad, the importance of a good culture within any, within any organisation. This is this has been a challenge for the for the swim team. And while the steps have been made, you get the feeling that there's still a lot of work to be done to, to really deliver a positive cultural impact. Yeah, that's, that's right. I think obviously swimming being largely an Olympic sport, they do obviously compete at other events, Commonwealth Games, World Championships, etc. But being such a largely individual sport where you might have, you know, swimmers in Sydney, Brisbane, Europe, America, so spread out. That culture is hard to set uh, from so many different uh, parts around the world. So that's why it needs to be so strong when they do come together. Uh, I think it was probably, as we've discussed, lacking uh, in London where it was really evident. Uh, that's where you need strong members of not just the AOC but Swimming Australia to set that culture from the top of the organisation and to show what expectations have to be met before they come into the to be a part of the team and that's going to be that's something that's going to be a constant work in progress for uh, for them it has to be it has to be always evolving always willing to take that one or two percent uh extra step forward to be constantly evolving and improving Right, well, we've reached the halfway mark of the the episode. When we come back, we'll be going through the other two cases that uh, we've got to discuss mental health, and then we'll be previewing the sports charity auction that's going to be happening in just under two weeks. You are listening to Splinters, the bench podcast on Triple H 100.1 FM, streaming on the web at www.triplehfm.com.au and available for download on podcast.com, iTunes, Google Play, Spotify and all good podcast sites. We'll be right back after these messages. It's time to hit the ice. You're all about caring Sydney Bears are back for the 2019 Australian Ice Hockey League season with all the speed, hits and goals that ice hockey is famous for. Buy a season ticket package to ensure you're not left out in the cold as your Bears rip and tear with the aim of going one better on last year to claim the 2019 Good All Cup. Log on to bearsden.com.au for all your season ticket and merchandise options. And for the latest Bears news and updates, tune into The Bench every Friday from 6pm. Sydney Bears, hear us roar. Sponsors of Triple H. And welcome back to Splinters, the bench podcast on Triple H 100.1 FM, streaming live on the web at www.triplehfm.com.au and available for download on podcast.com, iTunes, Google Play, Spotify and all good podcast sites. Of course, 
We do it all for our good sponsors at Magpies Waitara, the action attraction of the North Shore, and the all about caring Sydney Bears. And Jake, I'll just bring you up on that very, uh, very quickly before we proceed on. Um, the Sydney Bears, the ice, local ice hockey team, um, have been getting quite involved with regards to ment- mental health as of late, and it's good to see that um, a sport that's a little bit more niche in, in the Australian market like ice hockey is starting to get a little bit of exposure for what they're doing for mental health as well. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think that every organisation um, willing to take that step and uh, support mental health charities and uh, causes is a real positive step. As you say, it increases their exposure, but also shows that they are willing to uh, to support such a prevalent issue in sport at the moment. We are talking, of course, about mental health within sports. We're going through our case studies at the moment, and case three we've got is, is one that's been uh, very recent and very prevalent within uh, the world of cricket, and it's a young... I guess precocious genius that they're talking about uh, in particular from Victoria. It is Will Pukowski. Yeah, he's been uh, definitely touted as almost our next best talent in Australian cricket. I think from 17, especially for Victoria, really dominating cricket, uh, scoring 200 double centuries. In, in consecutive Sheffield Shield finals as well. Exactly. So, exactly. so for those of you who don't know, uh, Will Pukowski, he's a first-generation Serbian Australian. He, his father migrated here at the age of, uh, of seven, um, identified as a very young at a very young age. The Melbourne Cricket Club snapped him up from Caulfield playing park and representative at the age of 15, and by the end of his first season, he was already playing second grade in Victoria Premier Cricket. Like this, this speaks to the the, the the raw talent of this this kid, and they're talking about him. Uh, I'd say the closest that we've got here to in New South Wales, and certainly in the local area, is one Ollie Davies uh, as, a, as a young genius. Um, he made his first grade debut for Melbourne at the age of seventeen, and he scored his first century in the ne- very next season before debuting for Victoria at the age of nineteen. Yeah, it just goes to show the talent that he does possess. Uh, I think that in coming years he'll definitely be a mainstay in the Australian cricket team and everyone in the cricket world will become even more aware of his talents. 13 first-class matches he's played. He's averaging 44 already. He hasn't, he's only just turned 21. Um, three centuries, three half-centuries, two of them are double tons. And as we mentioned, both of those double tons coming in consecutive Sheffield Shield finals, including one in particular against New South Wales, who I think at the time had at least half of their um, first-line bowling attack actually available for them in the likes of Patrick Cummins and Josh Hazelwood. No better attack to uh, to be uh, scoring a double century against, that's for sure. Absolutely. Um What's really pleasing about Will Pukowski is that he's probably been the most proactive in cricket in dealing with uh, with mental health issues. He's openly withdrawn himself from the Australian squad twice to deal with challenges um, of the pressure that's been put on him from such a young age. It's rare to find someone that self-aware of his own challenges, that he's actively taking measures to deal with it. Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, obviously, when he's such a young man, uh, 
is on the cusp of making his debut for the Australian cricket team, as you say, to be that self-aware and to put his own mental health, his own challenges ahead of representing the country when he's not 100%. It's really good to see and hopefully is a, uh, a sign of things to come in the future where people are able to be as self-aware and the media actually I think played a good part in this where they did take that step back and just said or they weren't as uh, damning on him whereas in the in the past ex-players have been quite critical of similar players in his position that culture was a bit different back in their day and I think that's a really positive step which is uh, occurring in Australian cricket at the moment. Well, this was something that was really, in terms of that understanding of that mental health, cricket was one of those sports that really did transition quite early. And um, without notice on this one, I think the, the person who was absolutely instrumental in, in bringing that change along is uh, one Mark Anthony Taylor. Yeah, obviously, uh, the, uh, obviously the former Australian cricket director, uh, a very... Uh, good media talent who is uh, definitely not uh, shy about his experiences in the past and as a former Australian cricket captain has that uh, that ability to speak for the cricket public um, and with backing due to his past. And you got to remember that during his, during his time, Taylor obviously had a couple of very precocious players in their own rights coming through, one of them being a certain SK Warren and the other one being um, RT Ponting. And of course, Ricky Ponting making his debut for Australia at the age of 19. Yeah, that's right. Uh, obviously, uh, different challenges for each captain. Uh, but how do, you, how do you manage? Like Ponting and Warren both obviously had very strong mental capacities. I mean, the, the ability for Ponting to come in on his debut, nearly score a tonne against Pakistan, save for one of the worst LBW decisions you'll ever see. Um, but then to take on the likes of Pakistan, who had you know, Wazim Akram and Wakar Yunus as their bowling attack, and then take on the West Indies, who still had Ian Bishop, Curtly Ambrose, Courtney Walsh, Shane Warne, then playing an instrumental role with them as well. Really, the, the mental toughness of these two was very strong at such a young age, but Taylor at the same time showed that ability to, ma- to, to be able to manage them through and I think was probably one of the first people from Cricket Australia to identify um, the challenges that Will Pukowski is currently going through and realise this is not a normal case that we are used to. We need to step up as an organisation to ensure that we maintain our pretty decent record with handling mental health as of late. Yeah, it was really positive to see that he was so self or not just self-aware, but aware of different features which occur for Australian cricketers. Um Obviously, uh, as you discussed about the talent that he that Mark Taylor did have at his disposal, it just goes to show that the strength of his captaincy uh, to be able to keep everyone's egos in check and perform so well to, and transition them into the uh, Stephen War era of absolute dominance. I mean, of course, Taylor had to watch his own 
um, opening batting partner, Michael Slater, go through the same thing when he was dropped from the Australian team in 2001 in favour of Justin Langer. And I think he's spoken about how he's seen a few of those issues from Slater then start to wear up within um, Pekofsky. Yeah, and that's really good to say that he is aware of different effects which occur for the cricketers. Um, you know, if you see signs of or similar signs of uh, behaviours occurring, that's when you do need to take that next step and just ensure that they're not going through a really difficult period where obviously uh, more serious uh behaviours could occur. Let's talk about the battles very quickly before we move on to our last case study. And it's, you know, we spoke about moving into first class or a professional level competition at such a young age. Um, but dealing with pressures, especially as you juggle sport and your education at that age, like in New South Wales, if he did that in New South Wales, not only would he be playing first class cricket at the age of 17, you got a HSC to get ready for as well. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's just a completely different added layer of pressure that Pukowski was enduring at the time and it just goes to show that uh, the amount of the amount of uh, pressure that he was under and that's why it's so positive that in the following years that he was willing to take that step out and just say I'm not okay at the moment so I can't perform for Victoria and Australia. Let's go to our fourth case study and probably a one of the more tragic moments within mental health and sport to deal with, and it is the the um, tragic suicide of Robert Enk, the German goalkeeper. Yeah, that was obviously a, a big moment in not just German football, but uh, world football for Robert Enk. Uh, to have him suicide uh, was really tragic, and it just goes to show that it can affect not just the general a uh, general person in the population, but someone who at the uh, time was almost at the top of his game. For those of you who don't know him, he, he played for Borussia Mönchengladbach, one of the one of the powerhouses of German football. He's played for Benfica. He's played for Barcelona. But <clears throat> he was probably most famous for being the starting goalkeeper for Hanover 96. No slouches in their own right as a, as a club. No, that's right. They've uh, historically been a, a very strong club and one who has often performed above their uh, expectations in terms of financial outlay. 15 caps for Germany in the under-21s, eight caps for Germany itself. Would have played more if not for the uh, emergence of... Uh, one certain Oliver Kahn, and then after that, uh, Manuel Neuer, two legends of goalkeepers for the German team. Yeah, that's right. Uh, I think that those two will probably go down as some of the best goalkeepers of all time and probably top 10 or 15 keepers of all time. I mean, you wouldn't be disappointed playing second fiddle to either of those two because you just look at them and just go... Yeah, all right, okay. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you can't do much about it. But if the pressure of football wasn't enough, and we know and you know, we know, know it's there, but the mental pressure then of juggling a family to come with it as well would have been made worse, especially with the situation of his daughter, Lara. Of course, um, she was born with a heart defect. She was born with um, hyperplastic left heart syndrome. Um, the drugs that we use to treat that syndrome left her deaf, um, she was treated with a cochlear implant, which was initially successful, 
but she passed away in 2006 at the age of four. And, and as, as anyone will tell you, the worst feeling you can have as a parent is burying your own child and how much that would have just weighed on your mind. Oh, it's un- unimaginable to, uh, to see the situation that he went through. Um, and at such a young age, at four, it's not as though reached 50 and then passed away tragically, but at the age of four with, you know, obviously seemingly so much life in front of her, it was just a tragic situation. Um, his wife, uh, former pentathlete um, Teresa Reem, uh, spoke that he'd been battling depression from 2003, and it was it was an interesting one because it was it was a fear of failure. Of course, we know the German culture; it's a very proud culture, um, very industrious, hardworking, and to them, failure is not an option. Yeah, that's right, and I think that. Whilst, as we've discussed, he was achieving so much in football, his expectations may have been that he should have been playing first choice for Germany, should have been at a bigger club. Although, to be at Hanover, Barcelona, Benfica, to be back up for the German national team, the general football fan and German in general would have said, oh, amazing successful career but for him there was always that fear that he was failing now it was initially triggered apparently from being dropped from the german squad in 2003 um following uh, in the lead this is following euro um 2002 which was a bit of a uh well sorry uh, no the 2002 world cup uh which was by and large, not one of Germany's best outings, especially after their loss to Brazil in the in the final in two the, in two thousand and two. Um, but it became worse that if P, if the German authorities had learned about his mental health issue, and we talk about it, mental health being a taboo issue. He lived in fear that if the German authorities had learned about his mental health issues, that they would have removed his adopted daughter um, Layla. Um, if they found out that he'd been battling um, his uh, fear of failure. Yeah, that's right. Uh, obviously, he felt at the time that the German authorities weren't as receptive to the issues that he'd been suffering, um, which then internalises those issues. Um, obviously, he'd gone through tragic moments. So I think, actually, as we've discussed, just now that added layer of pressure that he was feeling at the time and obviously led to a really, really tragic moment in the part, in the future. And what happened to him, as we know, um, he threw himself in front of a passenger train in Hanover. It was a suicide note left, unfortunately, terrible circumstances to end the life. Spare a thought for the um, train driver as well, who probably would have seen him jump in front at the last minute and would have had absolutely no chance in pulling the, uh, the train up as well um and that was as enka was set to be announced as germany's third string keeper for the 2010 fifa world cup in south america which what would have been a very successful campaign for them yeah exactly um so it just goes to show that he was performing at incredibly high levels to be the third choice goalkeeper for germany uh at the time he didn't feel that way, uh, which is which is really sad to see. Um, 
because he was really performing at almost the top of his game. How do you, how do we how do we battle these challenges? The, the fear of failure, um, raising a family, especially in difficult circumstances, and a culture of pride and honour, especially one so strong as Germany. Yeah, it's a difficult one. That's where you really need the uh, strong support networks around you, not just from a professional standpoint, but also personal standpoint. Where, whether it's psychologists, counsellors, t- t- uh, team support staff, just needs to be open in dealing with the issues so they're not being internalised, because that's when more tragic circumstances tend to occur. So, with that, let's get to the the event uh, itself. Saturday, seventeenth of August, six pm, ICMS at um, one fifty one Darley Road, Manly. ICMS have been great supporters of yourself with these auctions, and uh, it's great to see that they're on board again. Yeah, it's really fantastic to have uh, Daryl, uh, Courtney O'Connor, and Wylock being such strong supporters of the charity events that I do put on. Uh, as you say, they've. Uh, in the past, been really strong supporters and have been really uh, of great assistance to me in organising the events. So tickets are $125. It's a three-course meal, two bottles of wine per table, lucky door prize. There's a cash bar available. Um, you know, ICMS always do always trot out a great um, great catering experience there, and it's a lovely little room that they uh, that they have the event in. Yeah, it's a a well-known location. Uh, A lot of people don't know what's inside the Harry Potter castle on (laughs) on Manly's Manly's, uh, Hill. It was opposite Manly, the old Manly Hospital. And whilst it's a well-known location, due to it looking like Harry Potter's castle, not a lot of people get to step inside the, the grounds. Now, let's have a bit of fun with this. What's what is on auction? The, the first one that came that came to mind straight away, the Star Wars Stormtrooper Supreme Edition, valued at $1,340. Yeah, it's a, it was a great donation from uh, from Costume Box on uh, Sydney's Northern Beaches in Brookvale, uh, a great online site that they have there. Uh, and it was a, it's a really – it's an interesting auction item. It would be interesting to see who bids for that one, what type of amount it can go for. Obviously, Star Wars being a very popular movie, so it will be very interesting to see what comes of that auction item. The Matilda's jersey from the Cup of Nations victory signed by the entire squad, uh, donated by the Matilda's senior technical analyst, Kate Cohen. <laughs> yeah, your sister. That's my That's sister. Yeah, very nice of her. Um Signatures, of course, from Samantha Kerr, Caitlin Ford, Lisa Davana. Um, the Matildas really have come to the forefront of being one of Australia's premier squads now. Um, their recent performances at the Football World Cup, some would say that they underachieved. I would actually say that given the circumstances that they had to battle through, they actually did okay, all things considered, and they just happened to run into a red hot, um, into some red-hot competition at the business end of the competition. Yeah, I think that uh, obviously the expectations were raised just due to their performances over the previous two or three years. But I think that there's really positive signs ahead for the team. And I'm sure that going into the Olympic qualifiers, that they'll do really well and will do well at the Olympic Games. Could we see a guest appearance from Lisa Devana or maybe um, Emily Von Egmond? 
that especially considering Van Eggman grew up on in the Northern Corridor. She did. <laughs> that might be difficult for uh, for Emily. She's playing in America at the moment. We're trying to work on Lisa Devanna. Currently, she's in Australia, so we'll see what strings can be pulled. <laughs> Kate, if you're listening, make it happen. Um, assigned 2017 All Blacks jersey for the entire squad that played against the British and Irish Lions in 2017. Only 100 of these were licensed and certified, and this one donated by New Zealand Rugby. Yeah, it was really, really generous of them to donate that. Uh, obviously, they would have lots of uh, donation requests, so for them to to donate it was really encouraging and just goes to show that the great culture they have in place, not just around their on-field sporting success, but around an issue which is so prevalent in Australian sport. Assigned 2018-19 Central Coast Mariners jersey signed by the whole team, including former Socceroos Tommy Orr and Matt Simon. <clears throat> this has been um, donated by Football New South Wales Advanced Coach Education Manager, great friend of the bench, um, Christopher Adams. Yeah, Chris is a great guy, uh, obviously uh, very closely linked with Anthony being at CC Strikers. I think he may have even had a run around with Anthony in one season. He did, he did, and um, he probably tell you that um, he probably wouldn't want to have to put up with me playing in behind uh, his defensive line again. So um, he used to complain, he'd probably end up deaf by, by the end of the game, so... Uh, let, let's go to the next one. This one's going to be absolutely awesome and could be a feature item for the night. I, I think it's my tip to um, to be the highest um, priced auction item. Signed and framed 2008 Manly wearing the Seagulls jersey, signed and donated by the Beaver himself, Stephen Menzies. Yeah, it's fantastic to have uh, the Beaver on board with the event. Uh, you know, it's going to be, an, as you say, a great auction item for the evening. Um, I'm expecting that that will go for quite a, a generous amount. Uh, obviously, being such a, a legend of not only the Manly uh, Sea Eagles, but also Australian Rugby League in general, being a Hall of Fame member. So it's really good to see. Signed 2015 Socceroos jersey from the very successful 2015 Asian Cup campaigns. Signed by the whole squad, donated again by Chris Adams. Um, you know, this is a special moment. This is when Australia finally announced how strong we were within Asia. Yeah, it was the breakthrough moment for Australian football uh, under Ange Postacoglu. The uh, World Cup campaign six or seven months previous hadn't got the results, but it just goes to show that he was on the right path and the success that he had uh, was so positive for Australian football. Unfortunately, we haven't been able to go on with it quite as much as uh, signs. Um, a one-on-one training session, a five-player training session, and an online training program with Jonah one-on-one football training d- donated by Lee Jones. An interesting one, this one. Yeah, he's a very well-known person on uh, not only Instagram but Facebook. Uh, he's a worldwide well known worldwide for his training sessions that he puts on. He's also uh, a coach out at Football New Wales Institute, so a really, really good coach to do a training session with. One month unlimited jiu-jitsu training at Northern Beaches Jiu-Jitsu. They had over $160 donated by Jack and Gil Cox. 
Yeah, that was it's really generous of them to turn donate that. That was just through social media. They reached out to me, contacted me, uh, and donated that. So it was really good to see that not only they were getting on board, but people in the general public are supporting the event. The an Australian men's test cricket shirt signed by Junior himself, Mark Waugh. Now, for those of you who are who are cricket tragics. And Jake and I can attest to growing up and watching him. There was probably no more beautiful player than Mark Waugh when he was in full flight. Yeah, the talent that he had was uh, almost off the scale. The uh, the flick of the wrists, just the, the uh, shots that he had in his arsenal were absolutely amazing. The Melbourne Storm jersey signed by Cameron Smith from his testimonial match. Yeah, it's a, a very it's a good jersey to have. Uh, so it has all the different teams he's played for in the past as uh, uh, on the jersey. Uh, so I think that's a really good one. It's a jersey that isn't uh, widely available. So to get your hands on that is a really good memorabilia uh, piece to have. This one's an interesting one, not sports-related, but worth talking about. Michael Kors Women's Stainless Steel Gold Watch valued at um, nearly $300. Yeah, uh, Michael Kors are obviously a very uh, well-known jewellery and watch manufacturer. So to have the uh, the watch as one of the auction items is really uh, really good to see, and hopefully we'll be able to assist in raising great money for the event. Any surprises? Any further surprises coming through at this stage, or is it a watch this space? There's still a few items that are uh, currently being negotiated. Uh, aren't too far away, so they definitely will be announced in the next uh, day or two. Make sure you follow Facebook for that one there in particular. Special guests and a couple more surprises coming up there. You're um, the MC, obviously a very critical role. Uh, I still remember being involved with your first charity auction and you somehow nailed Paul Murray to, uh, to attend the event, a great supporter of yours as well. This year, Fox Sports is uh, throwing their hat into the ring. Yeah, it's fantastic to have uh, Fox Sports football reporter uh, and host Daniel Garb as the MC. He uh, is a supporter of the event um, from after his forays over to Europe and to be over in England to come back uh, and to MC the event is really positive. The uh, Mayor of Northern Beaches Council, known cricket tragic Mike Regan, will be attending the event. Yeah, it's really good to see that the uh, the local mayor is on board for the event. Uh, he's attending with his wife, Bronwyn, so to have their support is really positive. We can confirm the state MP, James Griffin, is will be attending. Now, uh, James is probably not so much of a sports fan per se, but it's probably one you could probably educate a little bit more in. Happy to do that on the night. Um, can confirm Manly Ringer Seagulls player, Headspace Ambassador, one of the really good guys of Rugby League, Joel Thompson, will be attending. Yeah, it's great to have Joel attending the event. I was only speaking to him uh, early yesterday. Uh, So he is on board for the event and he's really excited. He'll be doing a speech on the uh, the evening and just assisting in uh, widening the knowledge of Headspace. And you've you've noted a high-class auctioneer. Yeah, we've got a... A local uh, real estate agent as an auctioneer on the on the evening. Uh, Hang on, I think I know who this is. I'm not going to I'm not going to drop drop the name, but I think I know who this is. 
So um, I, I, we won't we won't spoil the surprise. He, he is a um, a bit of a sports tragic himself as well. So yeah, he'll definitely add to the event and uh, increase the. Uh the, the, the uh, positive nature in the room. Absolutely. Well, we wish you the very best of luck. Um, it, there are still tickets available for the event, so make sure you uh, track down Jake Cohen online. But get in, get your tickets because they are selling quickly and they want to max it out and lose all for a very good cause. That is full time here on Splinters. I want to thank Jake Cohen for joining us here to talk about the upcoming event and we wish him all the very best of luck. Thank you for that. And um, make sure you spread the news. Make sure you get your tickets down there and support a a brilliant organisation like Headspace. That is Splinters, the Bench Podcast on Triple H 100.1 FM, streaming live on the web at www.triplehfm.com.au, available for download on podcast.com, iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and all good podcast sites. Uh, Thank you for joining us. This is Anthony the Bull Caruso, and we wish you all a very good evening. 